Desire Power, Chapter 10, Unconscious Desire. No modern consideration of the general subject of desire power would be complete without at least a passing reference to the psychological theories and teachings of the Freudian school, the school properly known under the name psychoanalysis. In the teachings of the founder of this school, Dr. Sigmund Freud of Vienna, and in those of his followers, there is found this basic postulate of the unconscious, i.e. a subconscious psychical element of our mental being, the essence of which is desire, manifesting along the lines of subconscious mentation. This unconscious desire is held to employ the forces and powers of the subconscious mentality in order to affect its purposes and to satisfy its longings. Freud employed the term libido, to indicate the co-native impulse of this unconscious desire. That term, however, having acquired a somewhat unpleasant conation for English and American minds, the later writers in, in these two countries have frequently substituted the term craving. But whether it is called libido or craving, the same essential striving and co-native impulse of unconscious desire is sought to be indicated. And this craving, striving, and impulse to action constitute the essential nature of the unconscious desire of the Freudian philosophy. Dr. Wilfred Lay, one of the most popular American exponents of the Freudian philosophy in his excellent work entitled Man's Unconscious Conflict, says of the power of unconscious desire and of its essential nature. In the Greek mythology, the Titans are the children of earth and heaven, and because they warred with the gods were cast into the Gulf of Tartarus, where they lie prostrate, but occasionally becoming restive, they shake their bonds and in so doing cause the earth to tremble. In each one of us, there lives a Titan. As the Titans represented the crude forces of nature that were later brought into subjection by the gods who introduced a reign of order, so the titan that is in each one of us represents the primal impulses of animal life, which have, through the ages, been brought into some semblance of order by the force of society. But just as the titans in the old mythology made themselves felt in disturbances of the equilibrium of the world, so sometimes do the titans residing in all of us break loose and do much damage in our daily life. And as the Titans were chained in the deep pit and could never show their faces to the light of day, so these primordial vital forces are generally controlled by the restraints of organized society and are as little in evidence to most people as if they too were chained at the bottom of a pit. Their writhings, however, are not without effect on our daily thoughts and on our bodily functions. That part of our mental life of which as a general rule we know nothing, but which exerts a great influence upon our actions is known in the newer psychology as the unconscious. And in this book, I frequently refer to it as the unknown Titan. These two theories, first that a large part of our mental life is unconscious, unknown or unknowable, and second, 
that a creative force, by whatever name it may be called, is constantly impelling all animate life, have been used together in working out the science of psychoanalysis. The prime mover of the human soul, then, is its continual craving for life, for love, and for action. The will to live, love, and act, conditioned as it is by the power that has gone on living and loving and acting for countless generations, is the only source of all human strength. Thus, from the above quoted statement concerning the nature and actions of the unconscious desire of the Freudians, you will see that the basic postulate of Freud and his followers is quite similar to that of Schopenhauer, von Hartmann, and others as the voluntaristic school of philosophy referred to in the preceding sections of this book. In fact, the Freudians have built upon the original foundations of older philosophers just mentioned. The latter, in turn, had built upon still older foundations of Buddha, Heracleitus, and others of the ancient schools of philosophy. In all of such teachings will be found the fundamental postulate of a universal something or somewhat, the very essence or kernel of nature, the inmost characteristic of which is an insistent desire, a craving, longing, striving, hungering, thirsting, moving toward action, promising to content its spirit. In short, to employ the figure so often quoted by us in this instruction, it is a power with the desire to act or a desire with the power to act. The Freudians, however, do not pursue the metaphysical road in their treatment of the unconscious desire. They prefer the nearer and safer highway of psychology. They emphasize the fact that in human life and behavior, the unconscious desire is the predominant moving power. They labor strenuously to uncover the hidden unconscious sources for many of our supposed free conscious actions. And in many cases, they make out a very good case for the supremacy of the unconscious. Though in others, their explanations and conclusions seem to be more or less forced or even fantastic. Passing by the extreme and radical theories of some of the school, it must be admitted that its teachings have done a great work in revealing to us the hidden springs from which flow the streams of thought, feeling, and action, which constitute our respective personalities. Likewise, they have bestowed upon the race certain valuable, efficient methods of correcting abnormalities and faults arising from the uncontrolled operations of the unconscious. The Freudians throw an interesting light upon the real causes of many of our common everyday actions, which we fondly imagine that we are performing of our own free will and by reason of certain conscious motives. The teachers show us that these certain conscious motives are not at all the real motives of our actions. The real motives are to be found in certain far below the surface buried in hidden desires, cravings, longings, desires. These real motives are often completely concealed from us and are revealed only through methods of psychoanalysis conducted along scientific lines. Our so-called reasons are often more excuses or pretexts evolved in order to quiet our minds and consciences, while the unconscious desire proceeds to manifest and express itself through us. Ernest James, in his works treating upon the subject of psychoanalysis, employs the term rationalization to indicate that tendency on our part to ascribe a conscious reason or motive 
to those of our actions which are really caused and motivated by the wishes, desire, and craving of the unconscious. Lay also gives numerous examples of actions which seem unaccountable and indeed are unaccountable, except on the grounds of their having been motivated by the unconscious wish. Freud gives the keynote of his general theory concerning the influence of our past experiences and of the feelings resulting from them upon our present thoughts, feelings, and actions in his statement, we are what we are because we have been what we have been. A writer on the subject adds, down in the dark hidden mental pit of the unconscious that even we ourselves do not know, and yet from which impulses are always springing and affecting our reactions to life, are many instinctive cravings, many antisocial, egotistic, jealous, hostile thoughts. We often have to repress them consciously, but much oftener they are unconsciously repressed. Sometimes a slip comes and they are revealed against our own will, at least discovered to those who understand something of the operation of the subconscious mind, an increasing number now. Dr. Drysdale says, experiences long buried and long forgotten continue to exercise a dynamic force in the life of individuals influencing their reactions and apparent motives. They are subconscious undercurrents expressed usually in the normal person, but active. In breaks, such as lapses in speech, gaps in memory, the cue to the underlying regressed thought may often be found. Every experience possesses the power to reflect its influence upon our later life. No experience is ever wholly lost. Our present actions are, to a large extent, the outcome of antecedent acts or impressions. It must be admitted that life is a constant conflict between our natural instincts, motives and desires, and the standards established by the society in which we move and have our being. We repress from conscious memory many experiences that date back to days of childhood, but they lurk in the mind subconsciously, apparently long forgotten, it may be that the recollection of the incident will crop out at any time, resurrected by some idle word or fleeting thought as a disturbing or antagonistic mental influence. We shall not go further in this brief consideration of the teaching of the Freudian school concerning the subject of unconscious desire as expressed and manifested by the unconscious or hidden self of the individual. In that volume of this series entitled Subconscious Power, we have explained the general teaching of that school as well as having given a careful statement of the entire general subject of the subconscious, superconscious, or unconscious planes of mental activity. We recommend that book to your attention if you are especially interested in that particular phase of psychology. The more technical features of the Freudian teaching are foreign to the field and scope of the present instruction, and we must refer you to the special textbooks of that school for more detailed information concerning these. We have sought here merely to point out to you that the Freudian teaching is found to fit in with our general teaching concerning desire power. It serves to corroborate our basic theories and to sustain our principal facts rather than to oppose or contradict them. The better and more practical writers and teachers on the subject of the Freudian philosophy and psychoanalysis 
instead of following the example of those other teachers who emphasize the abnormal and unpleasant phases of unconscious desire, strive rather to point out the benefits which may be secured by means of acquiring a control of unconscious desire and then setting its forces to work in your behalf rather than against your best interests. This again, you will see, is in accord with our own teachings. We have insisted early and late from beginning to end that you must be the master of your desire power, not its slave. Desire power, conscious or unconscious, may be a terrible master, but once you acquire control of it, it becomes your willing and faithful servant. Especially helpful and practical is the teaching of exponents of the Freudian philosophy concerning the process of sublimation. The process of sublimating the crude and gross desires into the finer metal approved of by the cultured and trained conscious mentality of the individual, just as the ancient alchemists sought to sublimate the baser metals into gold. The elemental force of desire power may be drawn through proper channels to higher levels of activity and accomplishment, there to be set to work in the direction of that which makes you stronger, better, and more efficient, and which also serves better the purposes of civilization and the welfare of the race. This teaching concerning sublimation also is found to accord with our own teaching as contained in the present book and others of this series. In fact, many of the methods set forth in these books and presented to you in this instruction are based upon the precise principle, i.e. that of transmutation or sublimation of the elemental desire power into the higher forms of its expression. In this book, you have been asked to consider the facts which have discovered concerning the nature, character, and modes of activity of desire power, that great elemental psychic energy, which is seen to pervade all existence and to be present universally. Analyze the actions of any or every living thing, and you will find desire power inspiring and motivating. Nay, examine the motions of the so-called inanimate objects of nature, and you will find even there the energizing forces of something like desire power. If nature be regarded as a magnificent cosmic machine, then desire power is the motive power that runs that universal machinery. If nature be regarded as a living macrocosm, then desire power is the living motive power inspiring and causing its activities. From whatever angle nature may be viewed under whatever hypothesis or theory it may be regarded, desire power is perceived to be the something or somewhat directly responsible for making the wheels go round. The old hermetic axiom, as above, so below, as within, so without, as in great, so in small, is seen to apply here. The individual and the cosmos both are seen to have as their essential motive power that original, aboriginal, elemental, fundamental something, which we know as desire power. In view of this fact, you scarcely need to be urged to study the methods of operation of this mighty force so that you may harness it to your machinery of life and action. Like gravitation or electricity, its power is available to all who have the courage, intelligence, and perseverance to master it and press it into service. It is as free as the air or the sunshine. 
It costs nothing to run your living machinery with it, nothing but persistence and determination. You do not have to supply it with power or to add energy to it. It has within itself far more power, energy, or force than you will ever have occasion to make use of. All that you need do is to tap onto its free energy and to set it to work for you in the direction of running the mental and physical machinery with which you have provided it. Let us ask you to consider the following remarkable statement of Dr. Wilfred Lay, to whom we directed your attention in the first pages of the present section of this book. Speaking of the desire power of the unconscious, Dr. Lay says this, I call your attention to the enormous power of the unconscious. It is the accumulated desire in each one of us of eons of evolution, the present form in each individual of that vital force which has kept itself immortal through thousands of generations of men behind us and millions of generations of animals behind them. It need not be anything but a source of power to us, power that we can draw upon if we rightly understand it just as we can turn on power from a steam pipe or an electric wire. It need not be destructive. Indeed, it is not destructive, except in the most distracted souls. But on the contrary, ought in each one of us, when we have learned to manage it rightly, to be as much and as completely at our command as is the power of the automobile. As in the automobile, there are a few simple things that we have to learn and the rest is furnished by the maker of the car. And we do ill to tamper with it. The experience of having a 50 horsepower auto placed at one's command, if it is to be driven by oneself, is a situation into which there are many persons, both men and women, who are very loath to enter. And similarly, there are many persons who for various causes would not be willing to have developed the 50,000 generation power which resides in them. To all intents and purposes, and as far as human flesh is able to bear the strain, this power which is largely in the hands of the unconscious in most men and women is illimitable. Desire power is a cosmic force designed for the controlled and directed use of the strong. It is at the disposal of all, but only few are courageous and determined enough to avail themselves of its services. The masses of men merely dally with it, play with it, handle it gingerly. The masters of men boldly grasp its controlling levers and turn its power into their mental and physical machinery. It is a master force fitted only for the service of masters. It is the rightful servant only of those whose slogan is, I can, I will, I dare, I do. You can be a master of desire power and thus a master of men, a master of circumstances, a master of life, if you but will to be so. You are the master of your fate, the captain of your soul. If you will but recognize, realize, and manifest the power of the I am I, which is your real self, and of which desire power is the willing servant.